Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Wise Athletes Podcast, where we invite you to join our journey to understand how older athletes can achieve high performance and longevity in athletics. I am Joe Lavelle with Dr. Glenn Winkle, and this is Episode 9 of our podcast. Today we will hear from our own Dr. Glenn Winkle about an innovative pedaling technique he developed from his experience with speed skating. Glenn says the key is glute recruitment and the ability to use glutes in addition to quads and other leg muscles to apply power to the pedals for as much of the pedal stroke as possible. Glenn says he was seeking a way to use more of his muscle mass to save his quads for his finishing sprint, and he learned about using his glutes in speed skating. He thought he would try to find a way to make it work on a bike to increase power while reducing the stress on any single muscle group. On our podcast today, hear Glenn tell his story and describe his technique for becoming more efficient in pedaling a bike. As always, Glenn and I hope you find this information helpful in your quest to become a wise athlete. Hey, Glenn, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Joe, and yourself? I'm so glad that we are going to be able to get to pedaling technique, and we're going to do it on a podcast. So we're talking about the hardest possible way to teach people about pedaling a bicycle. You think you have for this? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I think it's actually easy to do as long as you actually step away from the from the speakers or from the mic and do a demonstration. Because I think what it comes down to is you have to, like I said, I would talk to you earlier about this, about the phases. And first you have to figure out that what I'm talking about is real. Because a lot of folks have no idea, including myself when I first learned this some years ago, of what I'm going to talk about. It's so completely foreign to them, they won't even get it until they went, they'll go, Oh, and the light bulb's going to go on. So we. You mean uh, we don't pedal with our feet anymore? It's the muscles we're using to be efficient cyclists. And I'm really, you know me, a scientist. I'm really into efficiency and delivering the power to the pedals. And I can tell you, I have the worst pedal stroke in the world, or did. And I, I've now made some dramatic improvements. And there's some funny stories that you'll, you'll love to hear along the way that, wow, it, it really is huge. Great. Well, I look forward to it. Teach away. All right. Well, I guess. Um, you know, what it comes down to a little bit of the history is that you think about this from a perspective of when we were kids and we first rode a bicycle. And back in the day, bicycles were just, it's a pedal and you push and you push on each pedal. You push on the right foot, you push on the left foot. But in reality, the pedal is making a circle and all we're doing is pushing. And I'll never forget when I was in high school because um, I had a, had a bike and back in the day, the bikes, I didn't have toe clips. And most cyclists know what toe clips are. Well, actually, maybe they don't because it may go back too far, but they know about what are called clipless pedals. But in the old days, we had toe clips. And so I'll never forget, when I went to high school, I, I went to a small school in Massachusetts, and um, I didn't, they didn't have laundromats there. So most of the kids took their clothes and put it in a big laundry bag and gave it to someone who then washed it and folded it and ironed it and brought it back to them, but at great expense. And I was not willing to do that. So I had a bicycle, and the nearest town was seven miles away, and every Saturday, I'd put all my dirty laundry in the back of the bicycle and ride seven miles to Newburyport, do my laundry in a local laundromat and then fold it and bring it back home and I'd save a fortune. But I remember one day I, I, I just, every, every day I'd ride out there, I'd, I'd time myself 15 minutes and 15 minutes. And then one day I got toe clips and I knocked my time in half because I learned that I wasn't just pushing, I was pushing and pulling. And that's about the extent of what most people cyclists know. They push on the downstroke while they're pulling on the upstroke with the other foot. Then they're pushing on the downstroke while they're pulling the other foot to get motion. So it's push, pull, push, pull, push, pull. And that's the way most people think about cycling. But it's much more complex than that. Okay. Well, I look forward to hearing what you have learned in your 40 years of cycling. <laughs> well, this actually only happened in the past five years. And I'll, a funny story. Um, 
I, I don't know how many years, it must have been 20-some years ago, I was at the, um, the SRAM races in, in, uh, in Sears Point. Or was it Sears Point? Um, anyway, it was one of the big races they had out there. And there was a, they had all these booths, and there was a demo booth. And they had these things, I think they were called power cranks or power pedals, something. But what it was was pedals that, you know, when you think about a pedal, in the axle in the bottom bracket, it's one solid axle. But these things weren't a solid axle. They were independent. So your left foot would pen it independently of your right foot. And the idea was to keep them synchronized. And of course, I got in this machine and I pretty soon I was pedaling like a butterfly, both feet together. I couldn't get them synchronized because my pedal stroke was so bad. And I remember they were saying how this really helped my pedaling. I was like, oh, these things are horrible. I hate these things because I had such a bad pedaling. So I was powerful, but it was really push, pull, push, pull. That was my power stroke. And I remember thinking about these power pedals that I'll, you know, I thought about getting them, but I'll probably never use them because they were frustrating to use because I was so bad at my technique. But then <laughs> something happened some years ago. And I'll tell you this, it's a really fun story because um, when you think about this, what muscles do cyclists use primarily that they're known for having strong muscles on a bicycle? Quads. Exactly. Everyone talks about quads, 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 quads. And of course, calves too. And if you look at cyclists, their quads are, are immense, especially sprinters have these massive quads. Everyone talks about the quads. And well, I guess it's now been, oh God, now it's been 10 years now. I started speed skating and I was speed skating one day a week. And so I had an hour a week on speed skates. And I remember my coach kept referring to my glutes. And I remember the first time she said, she said to me, literally, engage your glutes. And I looked at her like, my glutes? I didn't know what, I literally, I'm, a, I'm an anatomist. I had no idea what she was talking about. How do you engage your glutes? I didn't know what she meant. I literally was dumbfounded because as a cyclist, I only use my quads. I speed skate with my quads. And she kept saying, use your glutes. I'm like, what are you talking about? I have no idea how to use my glutes. And so I came away from that coaching session with a question. And the funny part about this question, nobody could answer the question. Here's the question. Because I speed skate one hour a week, but I ride my bike 10, 20, sometimes 25 hours a week. And so I thought, well, if I only use my quads on, on my cycling, how do I engage my glutes so I can you know, exercise my glutes so when I speed skate, I'll be a better speed skater? So the question is a very simple question, is how do you engage your glutes on a bicycle? Okay, fair question. Everyone should know the answer to that question, correct? So of course, I started off at US Speed Skating and I asked Shane Domer, who is, this, is the strength coach for US Speed Skating. I said, Shane, how do you use your glutes on a bicycle? He goes, I don't know. I was like, what? I mean, he goes, you know, and he, he talked about exercise I can do to engage my glutes, but I thought, what about on a bicycle? I ride the bike 20 hours a week. So I, I was like, okay, fine. So I asked one of the top coaches who I was coaching with, Wilma Boomstra from the Netherlands. I said, Wilma, how do you engage your glutes on a bicycle? Don't know. Why? He says, well, I want to use my glutes. I ride the bike a lot. So I was like a little frustrated. Okay, fine. So I asked Catherine Reuter, you know, my coach. I said, Catherine, how do I engage my glutes? I don't just ride your bike. I go, but I want to use my glutes. He goes, well, I don't know. She had no idea. And so I asked three of the top coaches and then nobody had the answer. And I was very frustrated, but I kept asking this question again and again. One day I was at a, a um, speed skating camp, not ice speed skating, but inlining. And you have to understand that, you know, speed skaters are like, consider themselves the best in the sport. And inliners are kind of like the ugly stepchild, <laughs> so to speak. So there's a little bit, of, you know, obviously speed skating is an Olympic sport and inlining is not an Olympic sport yet. Maybe someday it will be. But the funny thing was that at this camp, I asked the question again. I go, how do you engage your glutes on a bicycle? 
And someone said, well, ask Katie, the, 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 um, the trainer over there. She knows. I'm like, she does? I thought, well, this is the, you know, a trainer of the ugly stepchild of ice speed skating. How would she know the answer to this question? Well, lo and behold, she gave me the answer to the question, and it has completely changed my cycling style. And so here's okay. the fun part, because we're on a podcast, and I can't show you how to do this, but I can show you how to use your glutes. And once you identify how it works, it will forever change your pedaling stroke. Okay. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Okay. So the first thing you must do, you must stand up. Okay. Let me do that. Okay. Now, when you're standing I'm up, standing. I want you to just, just stand on both feet, weight equally spaced on both feet. You got that? Yes. Okay. Now what I want you to do is transfer your weight. Just lean slightly forward till you feel more pressure in your toes. Do you feel the pressure in your toes now? Got that? Yes. Okay. Now go up slightly back to feel the pressure in your heels. Yes. Okay. So you, now, can you feel how you can change the pressure to its more heel base and more toe base by just moving weight forward and backwards, right? Yes. Okay. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to put your weight on your toes. Okay. And now go down and do a squat with your weight on your toes. Keep your weight forward on your toes and do a squat. Weight forward on toes and a squat. Hmm. Well, this is tricky. Staying yeah. on my you toes. You feel your quads? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a quad. Quad dominant, right? Board. Now... Okay, come okay. back up again. Now I want you to put your weight towards your heels. You know, I mean, not necessarily on, but just more the weight towards your heels. Yeah. And now do a squat. Okay, well, this is more natural feeling. Yeah. You notice how it's more glute-based? Ah, so that's where the glutes are. Yes. Okay, so now here's the secret. So this is what she taught me. That's all she taught me. That was it. And I was like, huh. And so... I figured something out. In fact, that very day I went out and did this. So you're good. You can sit down. That's all you have to know is that little, that little subtlety. Now, when you ride a bicycle, where do you put your pressure? Well, uh, my clipless pedals, which yeah. are attached to my shoes, are attached uh, roughly to the ball of my foot. Correct. And so when you pedal, you put your pressure through your foot, the ball of your foot, the forward part of your foot. Yeah, that's unavoidable to some extent, eh? Exactly. And so when I learned cycling back, oh, back in the late 80s or early 80s, I was taught what's called the technique of ankling. You remember that technique? Oh, Towing yeah. down to use your calves, yes. right? And so I always, I'm always slightly toe down. So I figured out, so what I did, I went out for a bike ride that, that very afternoon. And what I did was I put my heel down. So it was heel dominant. And I pedaled the whole ride with my heel down, not level, but down. And two things happened that day. For the first time in 35 years of bike riding, my butt hurt. Seriously. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe it. My butt was sore. It never got sore ever in a bike race. For the first time on a bicycle, I was actually engaging my glutes. Now, the second thing I did was I came home and my knee was all screwed up. On my oh. right side especially. You know why? Uh, your seat was too high. Exactly. My seat was too high because if you, if you go from toe down to heel down, that's almost a two-inch difference in height. Yeah. So, I, had to get, so I, I was actually messed up for quite a while if my knee was all screwed up because I, I was overextending my knee. But I learned something in that thing. So the first thing I want to tell you is that if you try this experiment, before you do the experiment, make sure to lower your saddle because you don't want to mess your knees up. It took me, I almost say, six weeks to fix my knee. That's how bad it was. Wow. But I still learned the important lesson, which was when I pedal heel down, I engage my glutes. Now, for, the, for our listeners, you have to do this whole experiment. First of all, do that standing straight up and down, front, back, 
and then do a squat on your toes, a squat on your heels, so you can feel the muscles engage. Then the secret is to go out on your bike and lower your saddle and try riding with your heel down. Literally, force, force the heel down and ride heel down to the whole stroke. So you're really working the glutes and you'll find your butt starts to hurt. So not flat foot, heel down. Not flat foot, heel down. Yeah. Okay. And I've, I've since refined this principle, but this is how I teach the principle for starters because I want people to identify what muscle group they're using and how to engage different muscle groups. Now, there's a secret here. So the heel down is just so that they start to feel the glute and know yes. when they're engaging it. Right. Now, there's a funny part about this, and I'm sure most cyclists have experienced this, okay? Think about this. You might go out on a really long ride or a really long bike race, and you're like three or four or five hours out. And if you think about this, when your legs are totally trashed, how do you ride the bicycle? You ride differently, don't you? The majority of people will sit back in their saddle and ride with the heel down because what's happened is they've blown out their quads. Their quads are totally fatigued, and now they use their glutes as a backup. And so I thought to myself, well, that's curious. Why not use your glutes and then spare your quads for the final sprint when you need them by modifying your pedal stroke? So you can use glute dominant or quad dominant. And there's another aspect of this. If you're trying to generate power, I'll ask people this question. They often don't get it. Which is more powerful, your quads or your glutes? Well, I've understood that your glutes are the biggest muscle in your body. That's correct. They're far more powerful than your quads. But ironically, cyclists do not engage their glutes because we pedal toe down. How interesting. You know, this does ring a bell. I had been taught a process of when I would be on long climbs and my mm -hmm. legs would get tired, I mm -hmm. would start doing heel down mm -hmm. because it would save my, it would let my legs recover. Exactly. So you discover something right there. And some cyclists know this well. In fact, um, I'll never forget, this was back in the early discovery days when I was learning this technique. And it was that uh, the Wheels of Thunder race, which is over there by the um, by, uh, Dove Valley. And it has that hill on one side, and it has that descent on the other side, then it has that slightly uphill sprint. And I'll never forget that I learned this technique and I realized heel down engages glutes. So on the hill, I was purposely pedaling heel down to basically spare my quads for that uphill sprint at the end of the race. So every time I up the hill, it was heel down, heel down. Every time I up the hill, I had to focus on heel down, heel down, engaging glutes. And when it came down to that final sprint, it was so funny because I think it was, it was the Boulder team was, uh, was up there doing a teen time trial, five guys in a row, teen trial, and I came flying by them all and won the race. My quads were fresh. They weren't even tired. They were just like, boom, I had tons of power because I was sparing my glutes. And that was the secret I used. So it's, it's, a, it's a trick that works. And that's just a little piece of the puzzle. There's so much more that goes into this so I really want to get into the, you can tell I'm excited about this because I'm a scientist and I like discovering things and I like new things and I like ideas about things. This is an, a concept which I've developed over the last several years to make me a better cyclist and to teach cyclists to become better cyclists, to develop better spin, better cadence, higher RPMs, more efficiency, using more muscle groups and just becoming much more efficient cyclists. Yeah. In fact, this even reminds me now as I'm, my mind is racing that what I was taught when I started riding on the track on a velodrome was to have a flat foot, not mm -hmm. toe down, but flat because that would be more powerful. Well, maybe it's more powerful because it's using the biggest muscle on my body. Well, that's, that's a good point that you mentioned that because that's a secret that a lot of folks don't know. I was never taught that flat foot. I was always taught toe down and or ankling technique with toe down. You're actually constantly moving your calf. But what's, what's curious is that if you go toe down, you're going to be quad dominant, heel down, glute dominant. If you're flat foot, 
you're going to equalize the quads and the glutes together. And you use both muscles at the same time. And that's important on the track because you need to develop a, the proper cadence and the proper spin. Uh, again, racing mind here. I wonder if the heel down or flat, you know, as opposed to the pointed toe, doesn't allow you to engage the hamstring sooner. Now that I haven't thought about particularly, because um, heel down would keep would, would lengthen it. As you're on the bottom of the downstroke, and now mm -hmm. you're pulling back with right, the hamstring. Right. Well, normally what the technique in, in, in um, ankling technique was that you toe down on the forward stroke going down. At the bottom of the stroke, you're toe down. Now, now you pull up, toe down. As you come up to the top of the stroke, you go heel down over the top of the stroke. That's the actual exit technique that's taught that I learned way back when. Oh, okay. um, so you're actually, if you think about this, you're using quad on the way down. You're pulling back on the way up. At the top of the stroke, you're applying a little bit of a glute push over the top. Okay. So you go from heel down to toe down. But the problem is that's not very efficient, it turns out. Um, and this, I want to talk about this in a little bit. We'll go into more detail okay. about the, the technical side of this stuff. Okay. Well, great. Well, please continue. This is part one. <laughs> this is like the discovery phase when I'm trying to teach you to understand there's a principle here that a lot of cyclists are not aware of at all because they're never taught these principles. And it's, it's an abiding principle with cycling. And I'm going to get into more detail. So like I said, Everything I've come up with, a lot of these ideas you've never heard before because they're my own ideas. I've developed them myself. So I was coaching um, Carissa Witzel, who was a Paralympic athlete, and I would, I would often pilot her at the Paralympic camps in, in uh, Los Angeles. And so we had the whole Paralympic team there. And one of the athletes is Allison Jones, a multinational gold medalist in, in cycling and also in Paralympic skiing. She only has one leg. So she'd ride the track with one leg. And I remember watching her on the track and she was so, she only had one leg. Most one-legged athletes are very like push, push, push. They're very uneven stroke. But when she was riding her bike on the track, she was smooth as silk, just so smooth. It was almost like her leg was like a crank arm turning a motor, just very, very smooth the whole way around. I remember I said to her, I said, Allison, you have the most incredible smooth pedal stroke I've ever seen on a one-legged athlete. She goes, that's because I use the Watt bike. I went, what bike? The Watt bike at the USOC. They have these bikes called Watt bikes. And so, of course, in my inimitable way, I, I rushed down to the USOC and I got Carissa myself on a Watt bike to learn how the Watt bike works. And what the Watt bike can do, it can graph out the power of your stroke at each point in the, in the pedal stroke. And so a person putting out equal power would give a circle. So basically, at, say, the 12 o'clock position, let's say you're putting out 100 watts at the, uh, the 3 o'clock position on 100 watts at the six o'clock position, 100 watts, and at the nine o'clock position, 100 watts. So it would describe a circle as your pedal goes around and around. So I hop on the watt bike and I look, I see it looks like a, like a kidney bean. <laughs> so at 12 o'clock, zero, I'm not kidding, zero. At three o'clock, let's say 100 watts. At six o'clock, zero. And at nine o'clock, 100 watts again. So I was going power, no power, power, no power. So around the whole stroke, I was not smooth at all. And Try as I might, I could barely raise that power on that on the flat spots on the twelve o'clock and three o'clock or twelve o'clock and six o'clock position. I could maybe get half the power I had on the other sides because I was pushing and pulling at three o'clock and six o'clock. But at twelve o'clock and six o'clock, there was no power there. There was literally zero power. And when I tried to make it a full circle, I have to tell you, my back was hurting, my hips were hurting, every muscle in my stomach was hurting because I was using muscles I'm not used to using at all on a bicycle. And I remember I was so frustrated with this technique because it was hard to do. It was really, really hard to do. Now, mind you, this is before I knew about this idea with the quads and the glutes. 
I was just a cyclist trying to be smooth in my pedal stroke. And I found it as hard to do as when I was at that bike race um, that they I had that, that uh, those funky pedals that were just engaged in the middle. The same idea, like, I'm never going to do this. It's just too hard, way too hard. I can't, I can't pedal. I can't, I have no power and I'm not going to get any power by learning this technique. Now, of course, I've been sure a lot since then. I've learned a lot since then. I've learned a secret. And the secret, again, comes from the speed skating world. And from coaching speed skaters on track racing helped me to develop this model to understand how to get a much, much better pedaling stroke. All right, then. I'm listening. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm going to go back to track cycling. You as a track cyclist know this really well, that a track bike has no brakes and it has a fixed gear. Now, for some of our listeners, they have no idea what a fixed gear is. Well, basically what it means, most bicycles, when you stop pedaling, the bike coasts and you hear that the ticking sound of the freewheel, essentially. Right. Whereas a fixed gear bike, when the wheel is moving, the hub, the rear gear, is fixed to the wheel itself. So when you're essentially coasting, the wheels are turning and the pedals are turning at the same time. So on a track bike, as you know, you never stop pedaling. As long as you're moving, you're pedaling. You can't freewheel. And so on a fixed gear bike, since you choose the gear at the start of a bike race or a ride, you can't change gears during the ride. You have to pedal. To go faster, you have to pedal faster. And to go slower, you pedal slower. Right. So you control your speed with the speed of your legs. They're directly linked together. Yes. The problem is that most cyclists have a range of, of cadence of maybe 60 RPM to about 120 to 130 RPM. And beyond that, they can't pedal any faster. The legs, just, they kind of get choppy because they're pushing. And you think about this from the perspective, imagine like a, a gasoline-powered engine that has pistons. The piston's going one direction at full speed, stops, and goes the reverse direction. And so it's going like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, versus a, like a, say, a turbine engine that moves in a circle and goes faster and faster and faster. A reciprocating engine must stop and start, stop and start, stop and start, stop and start. I consider that highly inefficient. And a cyclist who pedals with push-pull, 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 it's going to be likewise very inefficient. So from the perspective of a track cyclist, if you're pushing and pulling, you're going to max out your RPM at about 125 RPM, and you can't go any faster than that. But as you know, a lot of your track cyclists can hit 200 RPM or beyond because they can spin the pedals so fast. And the average road rider is just baffled by that. And what's really fun for a track racer who's racing against roadies who don't understand this principle, if you get on a track bike and they have a smaller gear, you can ride away from them because they can't pedal as fast as you can. So there's a real advantage on a track bike for having a good spin, a good fluid spin. Sure. But of course, me with my terrible pedaling technique, I was terrible at my spin and my my cadence would max out about 130. That literally was it, 135 maybe, but I was bouncing on the saddle and everything else. And I would practice this outside on a fixed gear bike. And I was still terrible at it because I had no idea of how the muscle groups worked to create a smooth, efficient spin. But all that's changed. And that's what's fun about this because this is part of that discovery process I talked about. And so I go from discovering a principle to now how do I integrate this principle of using my glutes, engaging my glutes, and changing my body position on a bicycle in order to be more efficient in my spin. So you're saying it's more than just establishing the coordination, it has to do also with your position on the bicycle. Exactly. In fact, um, most cyclists who've been riding for a long time know this really well. Back problems are very common on cyclists. Very common, especially um, lumbar four and five, where they have a lot of problems with the, with the muscles and the nerves there. And I have these issues because I've been riding bikes for like 40 years. And so um, in the last five years, a lot of that's changed. In fact, a lot of the back pain has to some degree gone away. Some of the problems are still there, but 
because I've modified how I sit on a bicycle. Now, the irony is, of all this is, is that the two cyclists I was working with, who are both speed skaters, short track speed skaters, and both very good, the top 10, top 15 in the United States, I taught one of them how to ride a track bike, Gunnar Olsen at the USOC. And literally within a month, he was turning well over 150 RPM. Now, if you know track cyclists, when a person's new on the track, they're not pedaling anywhere near that kind of RPM. And I was amazed at how smooth a cyclist he was for being such a newbie. Yeah. It was really quite amazing. And so I, I said, Gunnar says, gosh, you're so smooth. You have such high RPM. He goes, well, and he said, I sit like this on the bike. And I went, that's what I do. Because something I learned from speed skating. And so I have to go now into the speed skating world and des describe something. And also in the cycling world, how sitting on a bike for a speed skater and a cyclist are literally opposites. And this is what's so funny about this. I try to teach a cyclist and it's difficult to do because we're not used to it at all. But if you're familiar with cycling, you hear the term flat back a lot. Yes. You want to have a flat back, right? Now, if you flatten your back on a cyclist, what it means is that you put a lot of pressure because the bike hinges right about L4, L5. So now if you create pressure right there, what happens over time, it creates back problems. So I see flat back may be aerodynamic, flat back may be how we teach cycling, but flat back leads to a lot of issues with master athletes. They have back problems, severe back problems. I had sciatica that was so severe, there were days I couldn't walk. And, and some people know this because there are times when after a bike race, I can't walk because my back's still pretty messed up from 35 years of abusing it with a, with a you know, riding flat back. Huh. Well, you know, and I hate to mess up your rhythm here and maybe steal your thunder, but I can't resist and say that I have recently heard that a flat back on a uh, on a road bike, which is was the context, robs you of power on the bike. This is true. This is totally true, and um, I, I can prove it because I now I now have an option which I didn't have before, and the option ironically came from speed skating. So. If you remember, like as a speed skater, when I first started speed skating, I would skate primarily on my quads. I was literally toe down, not heel down. I would actually skate with my toe down. And my quads would literally give out. So I, I was like skating on rubber legs. That's what it felt like. Because I wasn't engaging my glutes. Like Catherine would tell me, engage your glutes. And I'd go, my what? I had no idea what she was talking about. Right. Because you're pushing off with your toes. Yeah. Because that's how I ride a bicycle. That's how I walk. I push off my toes. I've now developed a principle in speed skating. Ironically, I taught some people at US speed skating. They go, where'd you learn this from? I go, well, I'm self-taught. <laughs> so I now teach speed skaters a different way of learning how to speed skate because I learned the principles from speed skating and also from cycling and put these principles together. So now when it comes to bike riding, there's, there's a thing about how you have to use your body to engage your glutes. And we call this, and this is going to not make sense to a cyclist, the C shape. And that is that you basically take your body and you create a shape in your back that is not flat, it's rounded into a C shape. So essentially you're taking your hips and you're tucking your hips under. So you know, you're bringing your the lower part of your hips kindly up and forward. We actually call that scooping your hips in, in speed skating. So rather than rolling your hips forward. Right. Okay. Exactly. So essentially the term we use, the medical term would be, um, now, I, now it's gonna, I'm going to forget it, ironically. But um, it's this, this, this posterior rotation is the way we do it normally. We, we kind of we arch our backs and flatten our back out and rotate our hips down. But this, this is where you actually do the opposite. So you roll your hips under slightly and you round your back out. It takes the pressure off your lower part of your spine, L3, L4, L5, which means that it creates less pressure on the spine. So the spine's in a more natural curve. And that way it also engages the glutes allowing you to engage your glutes oh, more effectively. Oh, 
I see that now. Okay. Now the, now, the first time you try this, it's not aerodynamic at all. In fact, you want to try it with a more upright position in the beginning to learn the technique. Because it's like when I first try, I'm going like, I can't get aerodynamics. I'm sticking up with the wind. Like, there's no way I can get aerodynamics. My body's higher up. But if there's a way to learn this, how to rotate your hips and still keep your body down low, but with a rounded back or a more rounded back than a flat back. Okay. And the nice thing is that the back problems I was having are nowhere near as severe as they used to be because flat back doesn't work. But this is not being taught in cycling, of course. Some, some coaches I've noticed are picking up on this a little bit and realizing that you're more efficient if you can engage your glutes and use all the muscles of your back versus flat back where you can't engage the muscle groups. So another thing that would have to be dealt with in attempting this is to recognize that if you've been rotating your hip forward and now you're going to keep it back or roll it back, you now are not fitting on your saddle the same way. You might need to <laughs> move your saddle or get a different saddle uh, because the, the width of the hip bones sitting on the saddle are different now. Am I mm -hmm. right about that? That's true. That's absolutely correct. Okay. You're going to be using the different part of the bones to sit in the saddle. Um, and I'm still working on this myself because, like I said, it, it really takes, I think, this aspect of fitting the bike to the rider with a new way of sitting on the bike really requires hands-on, figuring out how the saddle should be fit just so it engage the hip muscles just right of the, um, what do you call the sit bones there, um, the ischial tuberosity is what it's called. But how those bones engage the saddle is going to be different. In fact, my saddle is designed for the more flat back position, so I have to rotate my saddle slightly to get it to fit my bones a little better. Hmm. I should tip my saddle slightly upwards to engage them better. Okay. But um, this is very, very true. But the fun part about this is that, you know, all these years I've been racing my bike, I've been doing fine, doing it the old way, so to speak. And now that I've engaged them differently, um, oh, my spin is so much better. I can, I can cruise along at 150 RPM easily now because really? there's a secret principle here that when you rotate your hips under, you engage the glutes. And when you engage the glutes, one of the problems is that if you're quad dominant, when, you're, when your pedal, when you hit the top of your stroke, the 12 o'clock position, which is the six o'clock position on the alternate foot, is there's no power available. But if you rotate your hips under, you now can engage the glutes over the top of the stroke, which means now you have glute power over the top of the stroke at 12 o'clock. Coming down, you have your quad power. Coming back up, you have glute power. So now you have glutes at 12 and six and quads at three and, and, at three and nine which allows you to have power at all four corners, so to speak. So it keeps your power continuously through the stroke, allows you to go faster and faster without that choppy motion that most cyclists get when they try to go fast. That makes sense. I guess I'm surprised that you can put out power on the upstroke, but I, but I totally get that you can put out power like on the forward and back added to your down. Right. And so that's, you know, if you've got three quarters of the clock with power instead of one quarter of the clock with power, mm -hmm. that's got to be a lot easier to spin in a coordinated fashion. What most people are doing is they're, when they're pushing on, let's say, the right foot, they're pushing down, they're, quote, pulling up on the left stroke. And then as the left strokes start to push down, they're pulling up on the right strokes. That's why on the watt bike, you see those high power strokes at the, um, the three and six position. That's that downstroke. Yeah. Okay. Or the upstroke and the other. Okay. Part. So you don't mean but they're the, generating the same power by pulling up. They're no, 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 never. Yeah. That's why when a person does a one-legged, one-legged exercise, they're, they're, they're so uneven. Uh, and that's why watching Allison Jones on the track was she was so smooth because she had smooth power the whole way around. 
But to be honest, to get to that point where you generate power the upstroke yeah. and power on the top of the stroke and the bottom of the stroke, that requires using a lot more muscles than just the glutes and the quads. It requires muscle in the torso, requires muscle in the outside hips, glute medius, glute minimus. I mean, all these muscles are being utilized now where they weren't before. Okay. But I, I have a class, I actually teach a whole class, it's about an hour, two hours long, on pedaling technique and I walk people through each step, step by step, so they can discover for themselves how it feels. And then I have them pedal their bikes and I can hear, in fact, a really good test is to listen to your chain. Your chain will tell you if you're pedaling smoothly. I can look at the track, I watch cyclists go by, I can tell who's pedaling correctly and I would say nobody is pedaling correctly, but very, very few do this well. And you listen to the chain, a chain in a perfectly smooth pedal stroke will sound like a motor. It make one sound, no variation in sound. But any variation in sound like a means the person's not generating smooth power. So you don't need a watt bike, you can just listen to the chain and how the bike sounds when you're pedaling. Now mind you, this when I first teach this technique, most people can't do it. If they can do it, their their stroke is so, let's say for example, I'll use numbers. So there's the 12 o'clock position, there's the three o'clock position, the six and the nine. So that's your that's your four corners, so to speak. So at 12 and six, I'll have zero power, and they might have 200 watts at three and six. But in order to get, let's say you want equal power, there's no way they're gonna get 200 watts at, at 12 and six. So they have to take the power at three and six and take the power down. And it might have to go down to 100 watts or maybe even 50 watts to get 50 watts at the, this, at the three and the six position to get the 50 watts at the 12 and the six position. So you want to have 50 watts at all four corners. You're talking about a training thing, not a, this is how you improve your pedaling is that you lower your watts. Well, 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 in the beginning you have to, because you see, we're so good at getting power at the three and six o'clock positions. Yeah. That, so if you, ideally, let's, I'm just going to give four points. So obviously there are many more points around the pedal, but let's pick the four points, the 12, three, six, and nine o'clock positions. Yeah. So if you want to have power around the whole stroke, you want to have let's say ideally 300 watts at 12 o'clock, 300 watts at six, 300 watts at, at uh, six o'clock and 300 watts at nine o'clock. So you're going 300, 300, 300, all around the thing, you're doing 300 watts at every point on the circle, right? But if you can't generate 300 watts at the 12 o'clock and six o'clock position, in order to equalize the power, you got to drop your whole overall power down. So you, want, you may have to be down to, in the very beginning, I was probably 50 watts at each corner. I could be smooth at 50 watts, but when I get above that point, I was generating, my, what would happen, I'd look at the circle or the, the, the kidney bean shape, that the two circles right. on the watt bike. And I, as I built my power, I start losing power on the top and the bottom of the stroke. Cause I couldn't, my body was not physically able to generate power there. Now I can hit 250 watts at every point around the circle. But in the beginning, I was barely 50 watts. And this is what happens when I teach the tr- technique, they're not smooth if they're putting power down. At slope, at low power, they can do it. But at higher power, they're back to their old style again. So they just don't have the, the muscle development, plus Correct. they don't have the neurological setup yet. They're just not used to engaging those muscles in the right. It's a coordination problem that they've got to get past. Um, exactly. But eventually, I suppose, I'm just thinking about what my personal objections might be. The, the more I can make power everywhere, the better, of course. But if when I'm, say, sprinting or, you know, I'm trying to do maximum type of power, as long as I can do that, uh, not in a circle, but, you know, however you have to, because I'm never going to generate maximum power in certain spots in the circle. Absolutely. That's 100% correct. Okay. And the same with me. I can't do it either, for example. But 
the trick, here's the thing. Remember I said there was three phases here? The first phase is discovery. Understanding that there's a principle here that we're not utilizing. And it's just saying, that's the idea of getting off the bike and doing toe heel, squats, toe heel, yeah. and then getting on a bike and doing heel down, toe down, flat foot, and figuring out that, yeah, this really works. That's stage one. Then stage two is learning how to adapt this to your bicycle as far as when I'm pedaling, what am I doing with my pedal stroke? Am I toe down? Am I heel down? Am I flat foot? Where's my power? What are my weak parts? And then rotating your your hips under, rounding your back more to engage more of the glutes, and then playing paying attention to how your pedal is at every point along the, the pedal stroke. I call this CAV is what I call it, constant angular velocity. And I do that because we can look at wattage at each point around the stroke. That's hard to ca categorize. The idea is to think about your foot as it moves around the pedal stroke in a circle to have the same speed at every point in the circle. So at every point, if you were to measure the velocity, it's the same velocity. So constant angular velocity throughout the whole pedal stroke. You think about this, if, if, your, body, if your body was a machine, a motor, and it turns, it's moving at a certain RPM, bzzz, the same speed, there's no change in the motor. That's when I watch Allison Jones, you're like a motor, very, very smooth at every point along the pedal stroke. If you can pedal like that, you're more efficient because let's look at the flip side of that coin. So essentially, you're going faster on the downstroke, slowing down, going faster on the upstroke, slowing down. So you're going, ooh, ooh, that's not as efficient as constant speed. And way back in the day, I'll never forget this. I was doing this unconsciously, but I get on a climb and I, I would call it machine mode. I was like, I'm riding my bike up a hill and I get, I'm like, I'm a machine, just, and I just grind away at the pedals at a nice, even pace. And I inevitably would drop the whole field on these climbs. And I didn't know why. I just knew that this was more efficient, whatever it was. My machine mode was probably as close back then with my terrible pedaling stroke of being more efficient as pedaling circles. I wasn't aware of it then, but that's probably, I look back and I call it machine mode. And machine mode was very efficient. And the fun part about machine mode is that there's a psychological advantage to this. It's really kind of fun. Think about this. If you're on a climb and the guy in front of you is just going like a machine, pedaling along like it's like it's got a motor in his bike. And you're going, uh, 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 pedaling, right? Eventually it gets to your brain. You're going like, he's like just not even tired. Well, right, I'm suffering. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't if look, he like, doesn't look like he's suffering, then you know, maybe he's not. And I am, so I've already lost. Exactly. So it's a cycle. So I would play this game. It worked. It was very effective. You know, I could drop the whole field, but if I just get machine mode and just, and I was suffering, trust me, I was, but I didn't look like I was yeah. and they didn't know I wasn't. Okay. <laughs> so well, getting back to this, putting power out around in the circle, uh, I'm, I'm trying mm -hmm. to get my head around this because uh, I can, uh, again, I can imagine that when I'm doing the down on one foot, I mean, it, it's admirable that uh, your athlete uh, that only had the one leg was able to develop her body so that she could put out power in a circle. And I, it, but I don't think I have to do that because I have two legs and I can use them together. And so when I'm pressing down, which is a very powerful point on the clock, my other leg is coming up and I don't need to put any power into the pedal. I, I just need to get that pedal out of the way, not be lifting my leg up or something like that. So I really, all the power of the system is coming from one leg, but at the six and the 12, I could be putting power into it from both legs. And so in that way, I can imagine that there's a chance that if I can do, you know, let's say I'm doing 300 Watts 
on the, the three o'clock because I'm pushing down on one leg and nothing on the other leg. But uh, at six and 12, I'm doing 150 watts a leg. Well, that adds mm-hmm. up to 300. Now, mm-hmm. suddenly I'm 300 all the way around. Mm-hmm. Now, that's obviously simple because now there's, you know, 130 and there's 730. And what, you know, what about these other angles? But th- just conceptually, that's a way I can get my head wrapped around what you're saying. Correct. Well, one of the, one of the problems is that you think about this, you know, we're not born cyclists. We're bipedal and we walk. And walking motion or running motion is very much one leg at a time. Right leg, left leg, right leg, right left, right left, right left, right left. Cycling though, ironically, if done correctly, is both, both legs are doing something simultaneously. As the right leg is coming across the top of the pedal, the left leg is coming across the bottom of the pedal. As the le- right leg is going down the stroke on the right side, the left leg is coming up on the left side. And what we tend to do because we walk this way is we use the right leg, we use the left leg. We alternate legs, right, left, right. We, and we cycle that way. And you notice because when you look at watt bikes, the only reason why this power stroke is so big on the three and six cycle is because the right leg compensates the left leg doing nothing coming back up again yeah. and vice versa on the other side. So you're, you're pushing. That's why we always say, I mean, a lot of coaches will say push and pull. A lot of cycle will just push and pull, but I actually want to make that circle. So, I, in fact, this reminds me, I just, I, I, I can still hear him today. It's like when Andy Sharp would coach at the track and on a standing start, all I'd hear was push, pull, push, pull, because that's what they were doing with the start. That's, I mean, that's, that's how you do a start because yeah. you're not using a circular motion for the starts, let's be honest. Yeah. But the fun thing is that that's just so ingrained in my head. I could hear him yelling it so loud, push, pull, push, because you're, you're trying to get motion, right? Yeah. But in reality, though, once you get past the push-pull, you want to get into it smooth and get your speed up. Because remember, on a, on a fixed gear, on a track bike, leg speed is, is bike speed. Yeah. The faster you can spin, the faster you can go. Right. And so the smoother, the smoother you make your pedal stroke, the faster you can get your cadence. The faster your cadence is, the higher speed you're going to be at because it's a fixed gear system. One of the things that I think about when I'm pedaling my road bike, I think is consistent with what you're saying. And it's something I read, I don't know where, but a long time ago. And it was, your brain is naturally good at the pushing part. You don't Mm -hmm. have to think about doing that. So what you should think about, what I think about, is just shuffling my feet back and forth. So when I'm at the top, I'm pushing forward. And at the bottom, I'm pulling back. And that's all that I'm doing is my feet are going back and forth in my mind. They're going back and forth horizontally. And the pushing part just happens. I don't even think about it. It's interesting you say that because um, what I have to teach people is, remember, like in stage one, I talk about how you have to understand the principles of toe heel type stuff. Uh So when you get to the third phase, there's things you kind of listen for because your body is going to teach you these principles. And one of the fun things is that if you're pedaling correctly, you'll feel, I explain this, like you're floating on the saddle. Because normally when you think about this, if you're sitting on a saddle, when you push down with your foot, your body lifts off the saddle. Oh, sure. Right? Okay, so if you're pushing and pulling, your, your saddle's gonna, you'll be going up and down the saddle. That's that, when you see cyclists trying to pedal fast, they're bouncing on their seat. Bup, 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 they bounce. Because when they push down, they lift off the saddle, and then when they transition, they come back down again, they go up and down, up and down, at twice the speed of their leg, leg cadence. That's why they bounce. Yeah, yeah. So if you're pedaling smoothly, there's no bounce because there's no lifting action. When you push down, you're not pushing down at all. You're actually spinning. You're actually sitting on your saddle. You'll feel more saddle weight because you're not going to. You're going to feel like your body is actually sitting on the saddle, and there's no up down motion at all. Yeah. In addition, on the on the feet, in the feet inside the shoes themselves, if you're doing it incorrectly, you'll feel yourself pushing on the sat on the pedal. But when you're pedaling correctly with constant angular velocity, you will not feel a push or a pull. 
your feet will feel like they're floating in space. There's, they're spinning and floating. There's no pressure down, no pressure up. They just, they're just going. And you won't even, it's like effortless. When it's done correctly, it almost feels like your pedal goes over the top naturally and comes flying down the other side. It's like, oh, going over a waterfall. And when you do it correctly, it's so efficient. It's just like, wow, that was easy. And I've gotten some of my best times ever doing proper technique. And it was easier than it was working hard at it because everything was happening naturally. That's interesting. Like I said. I, I, I yeah. can't speak from experience on this because I'm just hearing about this. But one th another thing where this does ring a bell is, of course, when I rode on the track, it was always, you got to practice your, your cadence and you, everybody wanted to be able to do 200 RPMs, 200 RPMs. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you can't put out much power at 200 RPMs, but you, you wanted to be able to do that because if you could do 200 RPMs without, you know, your head flying off and falling off the bike, well, then you could put power out at 160 RPMs. But mm -hmm. when you're pedaling at 200 RPMs, and I did eventually get there in a little past, you can feel the saddle, but you're not on the saddle. You're floating on the saddle and you're not right. pushing on the pedals. You, there's no way. Yeah, there's no way you could possibly have them go that fast while you're changing the amount of force you're putting on the pedals one after the other. Anyway, that's the right. feeling that I have in my mind. And I'm trying to relate that to what you're saying. So people who don't have that experience, they'll struggle, I think, a little bit. But that's a way of, I mean, and I think learning how to pedal fast is a good thing to do anyway. And you do that on a stationary bike. You know, you get, yeah. you get the power way down and you got to get it set up just right. And one of the things that I'll tell you from experience is do not hit your knee on the handlebars <laughs> when you're doing 200 RPMs. <laughs> so get the bike set up right. But if you practice that over a period of time, you will learn the coordination to do that. And that will flow through your ability to ride a bicycle, I believe. And it will help with what you're trying to describe, I think. Oh yeah. I think when you when you see a cyclist who's been taught the technique pedaling their bicycle, I mean, it's like when I first watched Allison Jones, I was like, wow. I was literally just in awe um, because she was so smooth. And I remember, I remember the first time I saw her, I was just like, she looks so different out there. And when you see cyclists doing it correctly, it just it makes the sport look effortless. I mean, I think of this in other sports, for example. Um, I was at the rink and Adam Rippon was there. And at the time, Adam was coming off an injury. And um, you know, I see people on the rink doing all kinds of jumps. And he would do these triples. He'd do triples and quads effortlessly. And I just sit there in awe at how he would do these things. I'm like, who the heck is that guy? Well, it turns out he won a gold medal in the Olympics. And here he was in our own rink. And I remember he would just, he'd make these massive holes in the ice. And it's the responsibility of the skater to patch their holes. Oh. And I remember telling him, I, I'd go out there afterwards after he'd finished skating. I said, so I'll, he goes, I'll pass my holes. I says, no, no, Adam, just to watch you skate, I'll pass your holes. Because <laughs> he, he made these triples look effortless. And I, I think about this in cycling, you know, a good cyclist makes cycling look effortless. They don't look, they're not working hard, but they're going fast, really fast. And you watch some of the best cyclists doing their kilos or doing their pursuits, and they're so smooth and they're not suffering but they're just because they're efficient. Yeah. And I think that even if you're just a recreational cyclist, you want to do a, a century or a hundred mile ride, or even a, a metric century, riding efficiently, having a nice smooth pedal stroke means less saddle issues because you're not bouncing on the saddle. It means less pressure on your feet, so less sore feet. It means more efficient muscle mechanics. It means you're going to get further with, you know, without using as much energy, you won't be half as tired. I mean, done correctly, proper pedaling technique is so much easier on the body. No question about it. 
it just occurred to me what was the most important thing in my cycling history that helped me develop my pedaling uh, technique for heel flat, flat foot, being able to pedal at high cadence. It was riding on the rollers. Because when you ride on the rollers and you have a bad pedaling technique, you are bouncing. Mm -hmm. So the rollers are a key to this. And I hope you agree. I do 100%. In fact, if you watch, um, gosh, I forget who it was. Um, There's a track rider at the Velodrome, at the USO's Velodrome. And he'd get in the rollers and he'd crank out 200 RPM. I can't do 200 RPM. Do it on rollers. That's insane. That's amazing. And you're just watching like... It looks so smooth, like so smooth and effortless because obviously on rollers, you have to be well balanced. You have to have good technique and everything else. And so, you know, he's doing it correctly oh, to do yeah, Twitter yeah. RPM. Well, rollers. in fact, I would recommend that anybody interested in this go on YouTube and, and hunt for a video, which would be easy to find, no doubt, of somebody doing 200 plus RPMs on rollers. <laughs> and they will, they will be like, that guy's not even trying you know, yeah. or gal. I mean, the people that are really good at that. I mean, when I did my 200 RPMs, I was a madman. I mean, it was, I, I was not smooth at all, but the, I've seen these videos of these people. They're just smooth as silk. You know, it's like they'd have a cup of coffee on their head and, you know, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't fall off. It's, it's funny you mentioned that too, because, you know, I, I learned to ride the track my first year of bike racing and I raced a race in San Jose. And I remember, um, I was terrible at sprinting. I had no speed. I was all, I mean, I was a, I was a really bad cyclist. I was, I was strong, but as far as technique, I was probably one of the worst cyclists out there. And it's fun because when I started to learn the, I, this was not the technique I, I'm teaching right now. It's what I learned back in the day. And I, I wanted to, like, I was in a race. I wanted to sprint. I would typically shoot, pick for a bigger gear and just, just muscle that gear. And I would have guys that go, they pop right past me every time and beat me in the sprint. And I couldn't figure it out because I was putting down more power. I was, but I was like muscling the bike and I was all over the place. And now when I sprint, it's kind of funny. I hit a certain speed and I want to get that last little bit to pass someone. I sit down in the saddle and I just, and I relax. It sounds funny. I don't try harder. I kind of go into myself and I kind of relax and just go, and I spin my pedals faster and I go right past them. Because on a track bike, remember cadence is speed. Yeah. If I want to go faster, I have to pedal faster. To pedal faster, I have to, I have to spin. In order to spin, I have to be smooth. In order to be smooth, I have to, slow, I have to kind of like relax my muscles to go faster. It sounds funny, but that's how I go faster. It makes sense. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, what's next? What else do we need to know, Glenn? Well, the thing is, like I said, there's three phases. So for our listeners who've been listening today who are like, they may be confused. They may be like, hmm, that sounds interesting. The first phase is identification. Just for yourself, discover that this really is a technique, a, a, a principle of muscles. And that's the idea of getting on your toes, getting your heels, rocking back and forth, doing your squats on toe versus heel. And learning, because like I said, as a cyclist, when, when Catherine first said to me, engage my glutes, and I'm an anatomist, I'm like, my glutes? Because cyclists don't use their glutes. Let's be honest, we sit on our glutes. That's our cushion. <laughs> we sit on them. And we ride our bikes and we use our quads. And I, I'll be honest, I was totally quad dominant. And now I'm very aware because I, I know where my glutes are. I engage them. I massage them a lot because they're sore from bike riding, which they never used to be. So I know I'm using my glutes now. And especially when I speed skate, I have to use my glutes. So that's the first stage is that discovery process, learning how to use different muscle groups. Okay. Then the second stage is when you ride a bicycle, learning how to do the same principle on the bicycle, toe down, heel down, flat foot, and learning how I can engage more quads, engage more glutes, or use both together. 
And then the third principle, of course, is the integration. That's the much harder part. That's the part I would say, honestly, is taking me five years to get to the point now where I can actually do it at about 250 watts. So it's a process of going from discovery into learning to you on the bike and then learning to integrate, which is the idea of the flat, the not flat back, but the, the, the rounded back, the tucked under, the tucked, I call it the scooped hips, learning to use the, the glutes to sit on the saddle properly and use constant angular velocity. And that takes time. And again, one of the great tricks would be using the rollers as a, as a training tool, a track bike as a training tool. I would say rollers is probably easier for most people to do. Most people, most people don't have access to tracks, um, but you know, rollers type thing, or just learning to be smooth on a trainer, for example, would be a good example. One-legged pedaling is really hard to do, will really show deficiencies, and I would recommend people to try it, but it's really hard for me even to do it with one leg, because that, that left leg will balance out the other leg when you're doing you know, two legs at a time. Right. One leg at a time, you have that dead spot coming back up again. Right. So Well, and they also need to adjust their bike, right? The saddle has got yes. to come down. And, Very important. And, and maybe the, the saddle, you know, might need adjustment of some sort because of the- Yes. Well, like I said, it, it was more than six weeks to fix my knee. My knee was messed up for quite a while. Yeah. So let's don't have I, any I of that. I was so excited about, <laughs> yeah, I was so excited about, it was like, I mean, I've been racing bikes for 35 years. I'd asked six of the top coaches in the nation in speed skating, how to use your glutes on a bike? And none of them knew the answer to the question. And when I was like, it was like it was like this mind-blowing discovery. I was like one of those eureka moments in my cycling sport. I was like, oh my gosh, I have these muscles I can actually use on a bike and I never used them. And so since that last five, six, seven years, I've been trying to develop this into principles of bike riding and bike racing. And it's I've learned so many new things that I would say the majority of coaches I work with don't have no idea what I'm talking about. They know little bits, like you mentioned little bits and pieces today about, yeah, I've been told this and told that, but I want to make it a complete and comprehensive idea of how to pedal correctly and get that high cadence, high power, effortless and efficiency. Awesome. Well, I think we need to, we, we need to report back on my progress on this. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll do that. Give me some time to kind of get this figured out and um, we'll report back. Sounds good. Okay. Well, is there anything else then, Glenn? No, we got we have a lot to talk about. This we can tell I'm excited about this because it's to me it's, it's it's been one of those eureka moments in my cycling career, which I just think is fantastic to learn. And yeah. I think about that in what how many how many years has sport been around? Two hundred some years? No one's really talking about this stuff. So I think it's really exciting to talk about it and to really develop it and uh, make us all better cyclists. Excellent. Well, I'm tickled to death. I, I think I've already learned some stuff. Uh, so thanks again, and you have a good one. Uh, we'll be back in touch soon. All right, Joe, my pleasure. All right, bye. Thank you so much for listening in to our discussion with Dr. Glenn Winkle about his innovative pedaling technique for using glutes along with his other leg muscles to increase power while reducing stress on any single muscle group. It works for Glenn, and if it works for you, you'll find some free power and greater power endurance on the bike. That sounds like an improvement worth having. If you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, Subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Glenn and I will be back soon with more useful information for wise athletes.